Welcome, welcome to another episode of Punt Intended, a Fantasy NBA Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Rhett Bauer, here to walk you through all things Eastern Conference Stock Watch. I wrote a couple pieces over on Sports Ethos that I think were for subscribers only. So if you are a subscriber and you didn't see those, go check them out. If you're not a subscriber, I recommend you subscribe not just to see my stuff, but to see all of the stuff that we're putting out over at Sports Ethos, which will include a bunch of stuff as we get closer to the NBA slash fantasy season. So Before we actually get started, everyone go rate and review the podcast over on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast. We really appreciate that. Let's try to get the podcast growing at the rate it was before we uh, slowed down the content. We're, We're back putting it out. So we're talking about the Eastern Conference stock watch, and a lot of this is probably going to change after the Kevin Durant and possibly Donovan Mitchell fiasco goes berserk because that's going to change the entire league. But for now, we're going to talk about what we know. And what we know is that there were quite a few moves in the Eastern Conference, but I don't think there's any that were as big or as impactful as my guy DeJounte Murray going to the Atlanta Hawks. And I've seen a lot of people talking about what this might do for DeJounte, what it might do for Trey. And I... In my stock watch, I mentioned specifically, it was like, I wouldn't move them for anything other than a guy in their same tier of dynasty ranking, because I don't think there's going to be that detrimental of an impact on each other as what some people might believe. So I dug through some numbers because of course I did. I have a problem. Just roll with me. Okay. In 2020, 2021, when DeJounte was on the Spurs, he was playing with DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge. Keldon Johnson, Derek White was playing 30 minutes a game. Lonnie Walker was playing 25 minutes a game. Rudy Gay was playing 22 minutes a game. Patty Mills was playing 25. Jakob Vassell, like there were a lot of guys on this team that were playing a lot of minutes and taking a lot of shots. Nobody was taking as many shots as Trey did. And Trey didn't have anybody that takes as many shots as what uh, DeJounte did on the Hawks last year. But let's just say that If we take DeJounte's 2020-2021 production, just transfer it right over to the Hawks. So not even the year he had last year, because last year he was incredible, and it's very unlikely that he's going to be able to do that again next to Trey, right? So let's just take his 2020-2021 stats over to Atlanta, and let's just say that DeJounte plays 34 minutes a game instead of his 31 that he played in that year. So instead of 15.6 points, it's 16.8. Instead of 0.93s, it's 1.3. 7.7 boards, 6.1 assists, 1.6 steals, and then you get into the percentages, 45% from the field. I didn't change that, just knocked the volume up a tiny bit. 79% from the line, 1.8 turnovers, because my guy does not like to cough the ball up. If he hits all those numbers, that would be good for 39th this year. And that does not factor in any improvement he made as a shooter. That does not factor in the environment that he would be playing with, because instead of playing with DeMar DeRozan, 
and LaMarcus Aldridge and Jakob Pertl, a bunch of guys who require a different type of shot profile than what guys like Trey Young and Bogdan Bogdanovich and John Collins and DeAndre Hunter, like that's a completely different set of players that gives DeJounte more space to operate. And he's also never played with a guy like Trey where he can just make passes happen. So I think it's very, very possible that DeJounte takes a hit, but he still remains easily inside the top 40, probably still inside top 30, as long as they're playing a decent amount of minutes. If they play closer to 30 minutes, trying to save the playoffs, this all goes out the window because that's what happens when you lose like four minutes a game. So Trey last year was incredible. He was 28 points, three threes, four boards, almost 10 assists, a steal at league average from the field, 90% from the line on seven attempts a game. He was awesome. The sixth best player in nine cat, I believe across the entire season. Let's just say he loses 80% or sorry, he goes down to 80%. He will not lose 80% production by DeJounte showing up. He'll lose about 20, let's say. So if Trey Young loses about 20% of production right off the top, he'll still be inside the top 40, which is a disappointment going from the first round to the third round. But it's still a very, very good fantasy player. And I think it's possible that Trey gets hurt more than DeJounte because Trey in needs that volume. He needs those shots to go to get those points up, to get those threes up. He needs the ball in his hands to get those assists because he doesn't get rebounds. He doesn't get steals and he doesn't get blocks. Like his defensive stats are okay. He got a steal last year and that's about where he's hovered, which is just barely above average. DeJounte, he does stuff without the ball. Obviously he needs it to get those assists and score, but he's an incredible rebounder. We know this, his steals are insane. We know this. And he doesn't turn the ball over where Trey does turn the ball over to it to a degree that very play, very few players can actually match in the league. So it's, it's very, very possible that both players end up inside the top 30 in, and that's not a player that you really need to be rushing to get off of. They're both quite young that 25 and 23. I, I don't see why people are panicking, trying to, trying to get off them for, for just, something because they think it's it's just going to be terrible for fantasy neither guy has played with anybody who can handle the ball create and distribute like the other and I think we're going to see that perform very very well this year in the Eastern Conference the second player I want to talk about is still in the Southwest Division it is PJ Washington it all, I always seem to like PJ Washington more than everybody else and, and I kind of get why he goes under the radar because he rarely starts. And this last year, he only played 27 minutes a game, which is pretty underwhelming, honestly. Like, that's just not somebody you want to be excited about for fantasy. Except he finished 62nd in 9-cat. He was a player. He's one of those guys that's a product of 9-cat. He was just average, literally all the way across the board, except slightly above average in threes, slightly above average in blocks. And we know how valuable those two can be. Voila, you're 62nd. But the important thing for me is that 27 minutes a game is easily going to go up to 30. Probably even higher than that with how the forward room for the Charlotte Hornets has changed so dramatically here lately. But also the backup center minutes that Montrez Harrell was kind of playing. He is also in a bit of a situation. So he's still not on a team. 
it's very, very possible that PJ Washington gets 32 minutes a game. And once he does that, I imagine that he's probably going to be close to top 50. Now I'm not saying draft him there. I'm not saying value him as a top 50 asset in fantasy, but there's, there's a pathway there, right? The last two years, 2021, and 1920, he did play 30 minutes a game and he was 85th and 161st. So that is obviously not good, but his free throw percentage was just atrocious those years while his field goal percentage was still below average. He's getting better. Obviously the lower volume of shots that he took last year might've helped his field goal percentage. And so if he ends up taking more shots, you can see that efficiency slide. And so maybe I'm wrong, but he gets He got 0.9 steals, 0.9 blocks, 2.3 assists in 27 minutes a game. If he can get 1.1 steals, 1.1 blocks, and close to three assists, he's going to be a very, very valuable fantasy player. And I don't think people have realized exactly how much of an opportunity is ahead of him. Like When you really think about what the heck is going on over in Charlotte and they don't have a ton of other forwards besides Gordon Hayward. And do we really want to be counting on Gordon Hayward? Uh, No, the the answer forever is no, we do not want to be counting on Gordon Hayward. So the next player still in the Southwest division is Jonathan Isaac. And I do not know what to make of Jonathan Isaac. I really don't because if you are somebody that still rosters Jonathan Isaac, you are probably tired of rostering him and are ready to just take whatever you can get for him if somebody approaches. But at the same time, we also know the kind of upside Isaac can have. And so I probably wouldn't sell him for just a bag of chips. Like I would still probably want to be getting like top 100 value back. Like I said in the article, I just don't, I don't know what to do with him. And I think right now is the worst possible time to sell him because His stock will not be lower than it is right now. And the closer we get to the season, the more updates we get on his health, hopefully, and the the more games we see him play again, hopefully his stock is going to continue to rise. It's probably not going to get back to the, whatever it was before he got injured top 50 or 60 or whatever it was. It's probably not going to get back to there because that risk is just going to be way, way, way too high. But I do think there's a case for Isaac being a little bit undervalued by people who roster him and by people who are inquiring about him. But I also understand if you just want to completely stay away from Jonathan Isaac, because that is a headache and a half. And if you don't have the risk tolerance for it, I completely understand not wanting to deal with it. Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And speaking of risk tolerance and headaches, we're going to move on to the Atlantic division and the guys that I want to talk about all play for the Brooklyn Nets, or rather they played for the Brooklyn Nets last year. They might not play for the Brooklyn Nets again. And that is Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, and Kyrie Irving. I I wanted to talk about these guys because I don't think 
it's a good idea to sell them right now. Like Durant, we saw him play on the Warriors and be a top 10 fantasy player. Like, and I get that the Warriors system involves a lot of movement and Steph is probably the most unselfish superstar of all time. And Draymond is an incredible passer and it's unlikely that he's going to be in an environment like that again, but wherever KD goes, he's going to be the best player on the team. And that is not somebody who's going to have his shots diminished, his opportunities diminished. The only reason we're probably going to see his stats go down from this year to last year is his minutes. He was playing an absurd amount of minutes last year. And I just don't think that's realistic, but even still, you know, who KD is. And, and I don't think you should be worried about his, his next team, assuming that he does get moved. I just, I wouldn't worry about that too much. I would, trying to try to sell him. I would be seeing what is out there. If, if I could get somebody like a Bam Adebayo or a, a Scotty Barnes or something like that, and I'm not contending, I would consider that, but I'm not just selling him because his next situation might not be ideal. That, that seems silly to me with how good KD can be next to, I, I get if you disagree because they are, uh, they test your patience to own Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving. So I've seen a lot of people get off Simmons because they think the back issue is lingering and maybe it is, it's a back. So we really don't have any idea, but I also think we've forgotten how freaking good Ben Simmons can be as a fantasy player when you don't care about threes and free throw percentage. And I know that's typically what I do. So maybe I'm a little bit biased, but also how many other players in the league can get you 16, eight, eight, two steals and 58% from the field? Like he's, he's so good. And I don't, I think people are forgetting how good he can be because of how much of a headache last year was. And I, I get it. I, I, I rostered Simmons for most of the year last year and it, it kind of sucked. I'm not going to lie. Two teams just completely in the tank because Simmons decided not to play. And that's awful. But I'm still trying to acquire him. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal moving forward, which is a, I'm probably going to get screwed by this now. And he's going to be a Michael Porter jr. Type player with just lingering back issues for the rest of his career. But still, I think people are undervaluing Ben Simmons and I would not be afraid to go out and get him. Even with his glaring weaknesses, he's a positive contributor in points, rebounds, assists, steals, sometimes blocks, and for sure field goal percentage. So he's good in six of the nine categories. And I think that's a player worth considering as long as you do not care about free throw percentage. Kyrie Irving is a guy that I would sell at the earliest possible moment as soon as I get a player that's in that same tier. He is so good per game. And I think his total rankings have been blown out of proportion a little bit because he has had some really good total finishes, even though he's obviously had some bad ones as well. Last year, 29 games played. He was still one thirteenth. 29 games. And he still had standard league value in 2020, 2021, 54 games out of 72. He was seventh in totals. Now, in 1920, he played 20 games, got injured. He was 214th, so that's obviously atrocious. But then his last two years in Boston, 18, 19, and 17, 18, 67 out of 82 games, 60 games out of 82, 
14th in totals, 30th in totals. I think people are sleeping on how good Kyrie is. And I think you're, they're slightly exaggerating how many games he actually misses on a regular basis. And again, I am not saying build your team around Kyrie. I would be looking to get off of him as soon as possible, but he's so good. And once he starts playing and he gets to be that good, some contender is going to want to upgrade and that's your moment to strike before then I would probably just wait and wait for the right deal and then pounce. Last and certainly not least, the least significant people to talk about uh, in terms of fantasy perspective, but not insignificant for me because it is the central division where my Indiana Pacers play. And I, I didn't have a lot to say about the central division that I really wanted to talk about on the podcast. I had a lot to say in the article that I didn't really want to rehash here. So go check that out once again. But I want to talk about the Pacers because Jalen Smith is is apparently going to be the starting power forward. And that is not something that uh, I, I would have expected if you had told me that last year at the trade deadline. I said, hey, that Jalen Smith got you acquired for a second round pick and Torrey Craig that you also can't bring back for anything more than his qualifying offer because his team declined a team option, which is only like the seventh time in NBA history. He's going to be your starting power forward next year. I I don't know why the Pacers are shoehorning themselves into that because if Miles Turner is still on the team, which as of this moment, he is, that's double bigs once again. And so all this talk about Miles Turner being the lone center and he's playing next to a power forward slash center once again. I I am more interested in acquiring Jalen Smith right now because last year after the trade deadline, while he was on the Indiana Pacers, He only played 25 minutes a game, but it was good enough for him to be around the top 100 mark. And he's a great rebounder. He's going to be pretty decent in points. He had a really good stroke there for a little bit. He had 1.43s in that stretch and he was good from the field and he got, he got a block. So if, if Jalen Smith is getting 30 minutes a game, Dude's going to be up inside the top 70 pretty easily because he doesn't kill your free throw percentage. He's bad at assists. He doesn't really get steals, but like, that's not what you're drafting him for. He's a positive contributor in a bunch of categories that he's a very good player. He is very, very young and he's on a team that is going to be, they're talking about trading miles Turner and buddy healed for Russell Westbrook so they can buy him out. Like, That's the direction that this team might be going in. And if that's the case, I want all of the players on that team that are young because they are going to get some opportunity that they may not get in other situations, which leads me to Aaron Neesmith. If you guys remember, I wrote a piece at the trade deadline last year that talked about players that I would want to acquire before the deadline in case they found themselves in a new situation. And I was right on a lot of those. It didn't have much fantasy impact, unfortunately, for a couple of them. And Neesmith was one of those guys on the list, him and Langford, because there just was no opportunity over in Boston. And I thought that their value in Boston was much lower than what their value could be in another situation. I don't think they're going to be crazy productive, but again, the bar is very, very low. And I, I, I like Aaron Neesmith. I really do. He's a, he's supposed to be a good shooter and is supposed to be a good defender. And neither of those things have really played out yet in the league. 
But I think the context of Boston is tough because they have been trying to be good the entire time that they've had him. And that's just not, you don't get a very long leash when that happens. The Pacers, on the other hand, can give him all of the run that they want and not have to worry about the consequences of him being bad and losing games because that kind of helps. The only concern with Smith is how packed the guard slash forward room, the two slash three room is with Chris Duarte, Benedict Matherin, maybe Buddy Heald, Aaron Neesmith for sure. You've got... Uh, Kendall Brown's probably going to play some minutes at three. O'Shea Brissett's probably going to play some minutes at three. You, you've got Andrew Nemhard's got to get some minutes in there somewhere. So there's just the rotation is just packed. TJ McConnell, too. And, and I don't know exactly what is going to shake out of that. But Aaron Neesmith is a guy that I would try to acquire because I think the price is going to be low enough and the upside is kind of there. For, for as little as you could acquire him for. I've been trying in a couple leagues, and I know in some of them it's been as easy as a late second in a 30-team league. That's a flyer no matter how you put it, but I I know where Neesmith is. I know what he can do. A late second-round pick, they're on two-way contract. They're on an Exhibit 10. Like You don't know what the heck is going to come out of that. Neesmith is under contract. He's going to be there, and he was one of the centerpieces of the deal that brought back Malcolm Brogdon to the Celtics. That's a guy that's going to get a shot. I'm interested to see what comes out of it. It might be nothing. I might just be way too excited about the return for Malcolm Brogdon and, and the guy suiting up for the Pacers. But that is the Eastern Conference. There's a bunch of other guys. I had at least one buy and one sell with a couple holds scattered in for every team in the Eastern Conference, talking about what players went in, out, and then a bunch of blurbs talking about why I think they are in the category they're in, and then a couple names to target with those players, whether you are buying or selling, uh, trying to make it so that if you're buying a player, you're trying to send out one that has the trajectory going the opposite direction, because that's kind of what we do here in Dynasty, right? You want to sell high and buy low, and that's kind of what I tried to do with this article and now a little bit this podcast. So it is almost August and August is when our dynasty rankings will be updated for the first time in a little while. We will be putting our rookies in there. Travis will be joining me for a podcast once that's done and posted. And we will talk about some of the biggest risers and fallers, which there's going to be quite a bit because we haven't touched it after any of the transactions that have happened this summer. So there's going to be a lot of movement. Stay tuned for that. Please let me know if you have any questions. I'm on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer, R-H-E-T-T underscore B-A-U-E-R. You can find the podcast at Punt Intended Pod. Once again, leave a rating and review if you can. We would really appreciate it. We're stuck at 27 reviews or ratings rather and, and a couple of reviews. So if you guys could spread the word on that, we would really appreciate it. I will be sure to talk to you guys later.